McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to Four Cards episode 133. Well, we're back from the new year. Pompey are out of the pizza cart, but put those tissues away because we don't have to go away to Rotherham. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchell. How are you, Andy? Hello, Bunce. Yeah, all good, thank you. Absolutely gutted to be out of the trophy that we're all saying, yeah, who really cares? But in reality, we would have loaded 40,000 to Wembley if we got to Wembley again, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm not losing any sleep over it. It's all about the league. I'm just going to throw every cliche out about this game in the next half an hour or so. So uh, that's something to look forward to. Hey, Freddie Webb, how are you, mate? Yeah, not so bad. Not so bad. I had a good Christmas. Lost track of Pompey because they're in, oh God, too many EFL trophy games, but we don't have to have a slice of that action anymore. God, all those games are bad. I don't want to watch them anymore. Slice of the action is a six out of 10 pizza reference, Freddie considering it's being used too much, but at the same time, it's still a solid answer. There are a bit of housekeeping back from the, back from the Christmas break. I've had two weeks off, so selfishly haven't recorded. So it's nice to be back on the, back on the microphone and talking to you guys about Pompey. Andy, did you uh, manage to get up to anything interesting over Christmas or like me, did you just sit on your sofa and go to the few games that Pompey have had afterwards? Uh, yes, spent vast majority of it sat on my ass. If I'm honest, you, it's been bloody wonderful. So, yeah, it's the most time off I've had in a row for quite a while. So, not been too bad. Literally, nothing exciting to report. I'd love to be like, yeah, disappeared off to France, got stuck there when they changed the laws. You know, blag my way back in a back of a van, like all of that stuff. But no, no, just sat on my backside. In spent half my time in Oxford, half my time in Salisbury. Avoided everyone as much as possible because COVID is disgusting. You didn't go and uh, spend your time off like Freddie spent his Christmas in Dungeness. It, it was it, it wasn't Dungeness. It was um, uh, it was York with the parents and meeting up with some mates uh, in the sea with some few beers. It was nice. It was I think nice. we're all just a little bit offended that you've got friends outside the Portsmouth friendship group. There, Freddie. It's a, it was a surprise to all of us, and we were more than a little bit hurt. Just a few, just a few. You'll probably see some of them when we go when we go to Newcastle. But there we are. I was going to say if you've got more friends than I can count on one hand, but I was brought up on the Isle of Wight, so the number of fingers probably isn't actually that high. So that's probably not the best analogy to use. Well, we didn't believe it until we met them all in person anyway, didn't we? At the Sunderland game. So we're now going to meet the Newcastle side of your friends, right? Yeah, yeah. Are they going to come with us to the game if we can get uh, tickets? It depends. On, oh God, well, it depends on how many tickets we can get. We've already been given two thousand for that game, by the sound of it, which is nothing in comparison. They're still unhappy about the flare thing, and that was years ago. Yeah, I drunkenly said that. Said that was funny and sort of upset all the Sunderland people that were with us, and had to withdraw that statement. So uh, apparently, it's not funny when you hit someone in the face with a smoke grenade. 
honestly, a bit like Boris Johnson, just having to withdraw, uh, <laughs> withdraw statements, make apologies. It's just slightly lower key, that's all. No one's ever really compared to Boris Johnson, so fuck you, Andy. Anyway, Very welcome. It's like the worst <laughs> insult right now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get into what we're doing. First of all, we're going to briefly review the three games, so Cambridge Times 2 and Exeter. Following from that, we're going to touch on the current news, transfer business, etc., what's going on. And then we've got Liam from the MK1 Milton Keynes podcast. He's returning to the show, friend of the show. He's going to help us preview the game on Saturday against MK Dons. And then we spoke to Stu from the Nine Years podcast to talk about the game on Tuesday against AFC Wimbledon. That's right, two interviews in one episode. And finally, we'll give you our score predictions for both of those games. Right, guys. Stuff to do, so let's crack on with it. Not the most entertaining games, let's be honest. The last three, Pompey obviously had quite a long break. I think played Morecambe on the 12th, 11th or 12th of December, before the COVID break, shall we say. So we looked pretty sluggish, didn't we, Andy, coming back into the game on Monday away at Cambridge? Yeah, the it was an odd one because I thought Pompey actually started fairly well for the first few minutes. If you discount that interesting corner routine that we haven't seen since and you do wonder how much time was spent on the training ground for something that was used once. But other than that, there was, you know, I think there was a chance for Hackett early on. It was sort of a pullback that went over the bar and Pompey looked like they were actually going to create a bit throughout the game. But then after the first sort of 25-ish minutes where it was kind of end-to-end fairly open, Pompey just got started getting camped in their own half and just really struggled to break out. And it was, I mean, the, the word I'm probably going to use multiple times on this on this record is laboured and it just felt utterly laboured throughout after that first 25, which were fairly promising. I mean, there were positives to take from it. Um, Bazunu played well, as we've now come to expect. Uh, there was one incredible block from Romeo to keep it at nil-nil in the first half, but it was just fairly sort of drab, wasn't it, really? Um, it was just very, it was a tough watch and... All of the games, you know, by the last few minutes at Exeter, it's been a fairly tough watch for the last couple of weeks since since the Christmas, well, the New Year break. I mean, Cambridge are pretty much looking like a bogey side at the moment. Obviously, we lost to them at home as well. And we'll come on to the result again. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. We're recording today on Wednesday. I think the thing is, when I, was, I actually went to the game, I couldn't get a ticket in the way stand, so I went and sat in the home end. Jake Smith nearly baited me out walking up the stairs into the homestand because he's wearing his uh, Pompey Media stuff. He went, hey, mate, he said, what are you doing in the home end? Which I thought was quite funny because the stewards are looking over and I just sort of went, oh, what do you mean? I've just come to the game and then sat, my, sat myself down. Uh, which well, was one of the safest stadiums for that to happen, dude. I think you're fine. There was literally no atmosphere in the stand I sat in. To be fair to the Cambridge fans, they had that group down the other end of the terrace who were making some noise behind the goal. But yeah, it was very quiet. At the same time, the game was really, really quite... It was quite physical, is what I'd say, as well. There's a lot of hard challenges going in. Obviously, they got a player sent off. Harness could have been sent off. I mean, when I was watching it at the game, I, I was actually quite close to the close to Harness then. I was about 10 rows back and directly in line with it. And I didn't think it was a red card at all. It looks worse on a replay. And when you still motion it and all that kind of stuff, and people screen grab it, but... It looked like the guy pulled him a bit and it looked, looked like a little bit of, you know, hustle and bustle. I didn't think it was a red card. What about you, Andy? Yeah, six of one, half a dozen of the other, to be honest. I, You can make anything look 
worse than it is by playing it frame by frame or taking a still out of context where you can't see direction of movement, which is what quite a lot of the Cambridge fans seem to do on social media afterwards. I think if that's being given as a red card, then every single sort of squaring up that happens on the pitch, every single handbags is going to end up in red cards, which is obviously not what we want. You could, you know, watching it live, I don't, I don't know. I don't think at any point I thought it was a red. I think it was, yeah, he was pulled back down. The Cambridge player wasn't letting go of him. But firstly, I don't think that's the type of player that Marcus Harness is, having watched him for the last few years. And secondly, I don't think he did anything deserving of a red card on this occasion at all. But obviously Cambridge fans will disagree quite vehemently with that. Yeah, they were grumbling, they were whining about it in the stand, they're booing him every time he got the ball and that kind of stuff. But it was one of those games, actually. I mean, I would say that obviously they went down to 10 men, Freddie. I want to know your opinion on whether, in some ways, them going down to 10 men and then getting the break, because for people who don't know, one of the um, Cambridge fans had some sort of cardiac arrest problem in their stand, I think it was. And, got, and then he got basically, we had to stop the game. It was like 23, 24 minutes. The game was paused for the paramedics had to jump into the stand. And um, thankfully, we saw on social media, the guy's actually fine. Yeah, I think I just wanted to highlight there the kind of the importance of everyone having basic sort of first aid training and being able to use a defibrillator as well. I think that we, it's obviously happened from time to time when, well, you know, out in public or at a sporting event or wherever, this is a really good example of why it's important for people to just do a free like online first aid course or whatever, because that could very easily save someone's life in this situation. I think on, I think it's UK coaching. If you type that into Google and um, cardiac arrest, there's a free online course you can do that teaches you how to use a defibrillator. And I don't see the harm in literally everyone listening to this going and spending an hour doing it or looking at emergency first aid because you never know when it's going to come in handy. And yeah, as you say, nasty reason for the game have to have to pause. And it's one of those just moments where your your heart just sort of sinks into your stomach. Kind of like when um, Roman Grosjean crashed in the Grand Prix and there was that ball of flame and you think, crap, I might have just like literally just seen someone die. It's, yeah, that similar sort of vibe. And if everyone goes and does basic first aid training, then you sort of minimise that risk, even if it's like by a one or 2%. It's worth doing. I just think it's worth throwing that out there. Yeah, I think for me that Christian Eriksen instant was worse at the Euros. That was very grim, but apparently the response by everybody from the stewards to the fans clearing the way to how the incident was reported quickly to the referee, um, that it was sorted out. And that was that's the biggest takeaway from the game, really, that that fan was able to uh, get out unscathed and be safe and sound. Yeah, but going back to a footballing thing here, because obviously we're all glad the guy's okay. I think the guy's name's Dan, but we're all glad Dan's all right. And um, I heard he thanked everyone and both fans and players and all this kind of stuff. But I think when you got a player, when the opposition gets a player sent off, and what you want to do then is crank up the pressure and wear them down. I do want to know whether you think, and it's not an excuse, but when you then have a 23-minute break and then the team who could have been tired out have had a 20-minute break, come back out on the field, then have to defend. Fred, do you reckon that's going to make it easier for the team to reset, get themselves in that position and just see out the end of the game? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And Pompey's intensity dropped off after the red card anyway, um, statistically, and by watching it, it was quite obvious. Their passes allowed per defensive action went from five point eight from the fourth from the sixtieth minute, which is very which is a high press, all the way down to all the way down to nine between the sixty first minute and the seventy fifth minute, and then eight point seven for the rest of the game, which is about average really. So they weren't even pre- the, the players weren't pressing as much as they should have done. The game was intense, 
It's very stop-start, very gritty, and Pompey couldn't get a handle of the game as much as they would have wanted after um, all the stoppages. So Pompey basically failed to score. I thought George Hurst this game didn't have the best game either. He's looked a little bit leggy since coming back in after maybe getting up to speed a bit more in the other, in the games coming into it. How worried are we, Andy, going into January that if we don't get a striker, Ellis Harrison's obviously gone as well, we're going to be in trouble, aren't we, with the who's looking up front for us? Yeah, I think so. You look at where we normally rely on the goals being spread around and those options aren't firing at the moment. And I have enough confidence in the Cowleys that... I wouldn't have thought they would have let Harrison go if they didn't have at least a couple of options lined up as a replacement. I think they are far more organised than that, and I will believe that until proven otherwise, which hopefully I won't be. Um, But yeah, it is definitely a concern. We looked very toothless, uh, considering, yeah, I mean, after after a while, I actually forgot we were playing against 10 men because of the break, because of the medical issue. I genuinely forgot we were playing against 10 because you could not tell from watching the game. And I mean, there were a couple of chances to win the game. Um, Curtis had a good chance that went over um, from sort of a drilled cross. I think Ogilvy hit one over the bar as well towards the end. But we looked very, very frantic, very little composure. And we didn't look like creating structured, you know, that structured choreography that we talk about so much of, of passing play. It didn't seem to happen. The game got stretched. They lost their composure and... I mean, you wouldn't have argued with Cambridge nicking a winner. They almost did from a free kick that Pompey completely fell asleep from. It, it was concerning to me that that was the sort of the pattern of the game when, yeah, we had literally had an extra player for however many minutes. It was a, a large proportion of the game, really. There was a lot of injury time, wasn't there? Like 28 minutes. And it's a concern looking forward, absolutely, because we have got a tough run of games against some pretty good teams coming up starting on Saturday, teams that are up above and around us. And we are realistically going to get fewer chances against those teams. I think the Fratton Park game against Sunderland was a bit of a um, an exception because of the weather conditions potentially helping, well, not just the weather conditions helping us, but I don't think on an average day you're going to get that many chances against Sunderland. So we've got to be clinical with the ones we're creating. At the moment, it's not quite clicking in that respect and it is definitely a concern. But at the same time, I mean, what is it, one loss in 10 in the league or, or unbeaten in 10 in the league or something? So I don't want to sit here piling on, you know, saying, oh, we have all these huge concerns because the league form is actually pretty good. But at the same time, the last sort of three games have definitely raised a couple of concerns as to whether that run is going to continue. Um, but I will I will judge their performances at the end of this little run of games. But yeah, definitely a little bit worried there that people are looking a bit leggy and a little bit sort of off the pace. Yeah, and I don't want to dwell too much on the on the EFL trophy games or the pizza cup, whatever you want to call it, really. I was hoping that, you know, you can say to the team they haven't played for absolutely ages. You know, the last game against Morecambe, I already spoke about. Going into the game against Cambridge, stop-start game, you know, you sort of think, all right, point away from home, that's a fine result. Move on to the next game against Exeter. League two opponents, let's crank it up a bit. We start a strong team. And we think, right, you know, let's 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 get some free-flowing football going. Let's get some goals. It didn't didn't really pan out like that, did it, Freddie? It, it didn't look we didn't look clinical. Exeter looked like the better team, to be honest, for, for most of the game, from my perspective. Yeah, it was another one of those games where Pompey just couldn't put it together for long spells. They were 
there were like moments in that game where where Pompey looked threatening and looked like the better side, but it was few and far between. I think Danny Cowley said it best in an interview with Andrew Moon, where he said, good teams play for 90 minutes, good teams find control and rhythm and are able to dominate games. We haven't been able to do that, but Pompey haven't for the last three games and then some games before that as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it was very worrying. Obviously, the grit and determination at the end with Curtis getting his brace was excellent. <laughs> I think Cowley also said that after that game, he said he couldn't decide <laughs> whether to hug his players or strangle them because of that game. But and I think that basically sums it up. But yeah, it was not the sort of controlling performance that Pompey would have liked, to be honest. Well, we, you talked about uh, Ronan Curtis there getting those two goals. Obviously, had that celebration, which he's definitely be wearing that T-shirt for quite a long time with the Yakubu crossed out with Curtis underneath it. I've got some friends that can make better T-shirts. Ronan, at me up and I will get a better T-shirt made for you next time you want to break a record because that one was truly awful. What, they can do better than a black Sharpie? Really? You've got some friends in high places there, Hugh. I mean, I could have drawn it better. My handwriting is atrocious. You know, let's not take away from the from the goal record, but yeah, the T-shirt, not the best. Couldn't I did love really that bit of confidence over the celebration. It's just like, there's something something about that that you have to like, don't you? Even though people go, oh, yeah, yeah, Cooper and Curtis are nowhere near the same player. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've got to love that. No, I like that cockiness, that confidence. Yeah, massively. And let's be honest, Curtis needs to get some more goals to his game. He's actually statistically doing all right. He's having over three shots a game. You've got to be putting some of those into the back of the net, really. Yeah, speaking of his shots, and obviously he got two goals in that game, his record-breaking goal, we're about to play Guess the XG. Guess the XG. Both of you, what it was, Ronan Curtis's XG for that game-winning goal against Exeter City. All right, Andy, I went first last time on Guess the XG, so I'm going to fire it over to you to have the first guess. Very kind of you, Hugh. I think it's less of a good clear-cut chance than what you normally give us here, Freddie, because there were sort of three or four bodies between Curtis and the goal hitting it on the run, yes, on his right foot with the ball coming towards him from, from Hackett. But I don't think it's going to be that high in XG. And I mean, I don't trust this metric in the slightest. So you're probably going to tell me it was like 0.7 or some crap like that. But I am going to shoot Top from the Top impression, hip. by the way. Sorry, Hugh? Top impression, by the way. Thank that's you. De- that's I, definitely I, my voice. If I had a slightly longer beard, it would be indistinguishable from um, the bearded wonder that is Webb himself. And if Freddie was wearing a, a Fred-style uh, baseball cap at the same time? Snap back, baby. <laughs> Bringing it back in. <laughs> Thanks for having me. put it on that. backwards, mate. It's red. It's how it rolls. <laughs> Thanks for bringing um, the, the podcast to life what on the audio platform. Everybody. No worry, Sorry, Dusty. Don't... What's your XG guess? Right. Um, <laughs> you completely throw me there, you bastards. I am going to go with 0.22 for that goal. It's not far off what I thought. I'm going to go, Freddie, with a... 0.25. The person who hates this metric has actually got closest with his 0.22. Fred, yeah. I hate to break it to you, Freddie, but I think we both hate this metric a little bit. <laughs> no, Hugh, Hugh loves it. We, we, we can tell. We can tell. This game isn't an inside joke at all. <laughs> um, 
But no, Ronan Curtis's XG for that record-breaking goal was 0.19, as, as Andy said. Oh, I almost went but, for that. But body, body's oh, in the way. Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> body's in the way. He hits it across the floor, took a deflection, near enough on the edge of the area. Yeah. I can only imagine the excitement in the listener base at the moment, having played along with that. People have crashed their cars, like cheering on trains, fist punch, like punching the air. You know, slut drop in. Dude, people play this game at home. I'm sure they do. We get, I get messages. People really enjoy this part of the show, um, Andy. Guys, what's wrong with you all? Seriously, this is absolute dross. What is wrong with you all? (laughs) Well, congratulations, Andy. Um, Thank you. I'm thrilled. I'm not a sore loser, so uh, there you go. You've got you've got the two on the board. So I like I like winning at things I hate just because it involves winning. I'm disgustingly competitive, so I'm still taking that as a high point. I need to go back and tally up the scores and see how see how you both get it on. Let's do that. We'll just stick the table on Twitter and we'll see if people, how people have done as well. You can at us for that. Right, let's move on to the next part of the show. We're going to talk about transfers going out. Ellis Harrison has joined Fleetwood Town. His reign at Portsmouth of, I think this stat still stands, but I'm not 100% sure of more yellow cards in the league than goals. It will be a mixed sort of tenure, I suppose, at Pompey as a striker. Quite a likable bloke. And at first I remember I remember the time when he made that charging run through Sunderland when he came on and he just sort of powered the ball through. That's probably the most memorable thing I could think of. But he didn't he didn't power the ball through, did he? He just ran well, through the player. Well, yeah, he like powered American through the player. football. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely love that. But it just never really worked out, did it from a goal record? Doesn't really fit into the style. Wish him all the best at Fleetwood. I mean, he's already scored a goal, which is, you know, frustrating considering his goal record. Yeah, it was. He kind of really fitted the jacket style, sort of four-two-three-one target man with a ten and two attacking wingers playing off him. Less, very much less so, the Cowley style. Um, I do think that at times jacket actually utilised him pretty well, but it obviously he's just fallen down the pecking order. Even with George Hurst coming in and showing a bit of form, uh, yeah, unfortunately hasn't quite worked out, but. Don't have a bad word to say about him on a personal level. He always works his absolute ass off. I've not ever seen a game where I would ever have called him lazy or like he hasn't put a shift in. Um, and yeah, as you say, I don't think I've seen any Pompey fan not wishing him well at Fleetwood Town, obviously with the exception of of when they come up against us in the in the future. I remember him best for um, him heading the ball down to Marcus Harness uh, in the playoffs against Oxford and also his looping header from the edge of the area against Doncaster Rovers where we nicked a win 2-1 the most undeserved away victory ever I believe that was two seasons ago from memory but yeah I I I liked him when he initially came in he got that brace in the league cup didn't he against Birmingham City he was a very mobile target man centre forward but it it just never it just never clicked he wasn't prolific enough for me um Again, I never thought I never thought I never questioned his work right at all. Sometimes he struggled to put that presence that he has into games. Sometimes it go missing. But, but yeah, and Pompey's get a fee for him. That's great. Getting a fee for him, getting his wages off the books um for Cowley to look for a striker that suits the tactical system a bit better. Hey, what's what's not to like about that? And Alice gets to play pretty much first team football. We'll bank that seven hundred K and move on with life, right? It was definitely not that. <laughs> uh, bear in mind, I do not know how much it is, but yeah, it would be nowhere near that. No. Nowhere near, nowhere near like the four. What was it? Four hundred fifty k that Pompey bought in for Mitrovic for. 
yeah, it's a fee though. So let's clap our hands together and uh, be glad for that. Moving on today, Jordan Cross is breaking the news that Paul Downing is moving to Rochdale. Freddie's colleague over there at the Ports of News. I mean, Rochdale are defensively terrible in League Two, so I can see why that would be an attractive proposition to bring someone in with some more experience to try and shore up their defence. Hopefully Paul can stay fit for him. I mean, I'm trying to say something particularly positive about Downing, but I'll be honest, everyone knows my feelings on him. I've wanted him out now for a couple of seasons. I'm sure a lot of people else have as well. Yeah, good luck, Paul. Uh, at your new place in, <laughs> in Rochdale. <laughs> I would get it's the good, bus ticket myself. Yeah, it's good it gets the fresh start it needs because it's quite obviously wanted it for a while. It's nice that he got some games under Danny Cowley near the end to try and ingratiate himself back in after being basically bomb squatted by Kenny Jacket for a while. But he was very good, elite. He, he wasn't he wasn't good enough. Got injured a lot. And yeah, it was a shame really. He was part of a very elite group of players who got what was the word used? Bomb squadded by uh, by Kenny Jacket. Is that the yeah. word you used, Fred? Yeah, bomb squad. Well, it it, like it, it's, it's a colloquial term footballers used when they are out in the cold, have to play with the kids. Yeah, uh, corner with Freddie Webb. Yeah, um, he's going to a very a very elite group of players. Hasn't quite made it back into the team in the same way that say Hackett has, who suffered the same fate under Kenny Jacket. But I mean, on a sort of a human le- human level. I mean, he came on as a, a sub, didn't he, in the 90th minute and then got injured before the end of the game. Like, was it his calf he tweaked after coming back on, after being out with an injury? On a human level, that's like the psychology of injury. That's so difficult to deal with. So I have a, a great amount of sympathy in that respect. But performance-wise, I would, or, or ability-wise, I wouldn't say is, you know, it doesn't cut the mustard for me. If we're looking at, realistically, within the next let's say two years of making it into the championship, which still feels like a little bit of a pipe dream. He's not a starting centre-back for me in a team that's going to get promotion from League One. And you can be as sort of human about it as you like, but it is a results business. And I don't think we get results with him in the starting eleven that we want to be aiming towards. Absolutely not. And that can be seen really by the fact he's gone down to, to Rochdale to shore up their team in League Two. But for the best, Paul. So we're expecting Gaston to have me to move on as well. It's not been confirmed, but... I think it's been talked about Andrew Moon and a few other people have expected him to be to be leaving. I think he's even mentioned on the commentary as well. A little bit of talk, I think Alan Nixon mentioned online, he might be going to Burton Albion, but that's not really been shored up and, you know, who knows if that's going to happen. But with a had me gone, Harrison, well, with a had me presumably leaving, Harrison gone, Downing gone, that frees up a little bit of a, a little bit of budget boys to play with, doesn't it? I mean, the had me's wages, I assume, will be quite nominal, but... Harrison and, and Downing leaving, they're two fairly decent earners. I assume Downing will have 50% retained or something along those lines. I doubt Rochdale will be will surely them. have something retained to go down to the two club on loan. But that's but that, that, that's money that Danny Cowley didn't have already. So that's better than nothing. But it, And it also creates the situation where the squad's not as deep now because obviously, assuming we lose, me, that's two strikers and a centre-half bomb. They weren't really options anyway, but that, that's less players to note down in case of mass injuries. Pompey really need to uh, the club and the management really need to get again, skates Fred. on. <laughs> Fred, if you, mate, if you keep doing lines of coke while we're recording, this is going to happen time and time again. Honestly, have a word. Yeah, yeah, it's not living next to a main road in Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking quite perky today. I was, well, I wasn't going to ask really. I thought he just got on the uh, on the on the coffee like us, mate. Fred, why is one of your nostrils bleeding, mate? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
for the record, my nostril isn't bleeding and I'm, I'm normal. Okay. For the record, record, he's got it, a tissue stuffed in it, so it's no longer bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, my question was, by the way, um, getting trying to get us back on track a little bit is with the, with these uh, with the players that have left, we freed up a little bit of budget. Do you reckon we're going to be bringing any players in soonish, or do you think, as Danny Cowley said about being quite meticulous, we're going to end up in a situation a bit more like Joe Morrell towards the end of the transfer window, where we sort of hold on and then get the players in that we all really dreamed of in the first place, or is this going to be another disappointing January transfer window? The million-dollar question. The slight red flag for me, the sort of alarm bells, was the the quote about geographical location being a bit of a hindrance trying to sign players, which. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure there is there is absolutely some element of truth to that. It's not a complete fiction that's just been made up on the spot as a potential excuse. But if the seeds are being sown for, here are some reasons where potentially players aren't that keen to come down to Pompey, then that suggests that they are concerned that you know the, the dealing isn't going as planned at the moment behind the scenes. Having said that, on paper, I think... It's a fairly appealing project. You've got two young, exciting coaches running a team, making the squad their own with their second transfer window at a club with a squad that is, you know, there's only, you know, now minimal number of of Kenny Jackets, I mean, to put it crassly, leftovers from, from his tenure, some of whom may stick around, some of whom may not. Ah, it's a big question. The thing is, if we wait till the end of the window, that's what, four games away, four league games away? That's, that's 20% of the remaining games in the season between now and the end of the transfer window. So if we're leaving it till right at the end, and that's a large proportion, we're, we're going to be playing with a fairly threadbare squad. But I don't want to see players signed for the sake of it. I mean, you can bring in bodies. Fred's talked there about squad depth and you know potential having a bit of a, a, a dearth of, of backup players. But I don't think that means you just bring in bodies for the sake of it, because you, if you're going to do that, you may as well hold on to Paul Downing. Carlos mentioned it enough, hasn't he, where he's yeah. meticulous about his approach and he wants the right player rather than just picking up players to sink a bit on loan if they're not going to play or get or, or maybe overspending for a player in January just for the sake of it and because you've seen other teams do that. I think it'll be the latter where Pompey will, fingers crossed, bring in a centre-half and a centre-forward near the end of January. They might not be 100% perfect, what Danny Cowley would like, and they'll probably... Better, there would be probably better options than the summer, but they have to add to this squad if the goal is promotion. So it's it's a cash rate too, isn't it? I think, yeah, you, with the Cowleys being meticulous, you have to give credit where it's due so far. And you look at their track record so far compared to their predecessor, and there were a couple of could have worked out, didn't work out, arguably, under Jacket. People, you know, young players coming in like White from Spurs and Byers from Swansea, where you think, oh, potentially a bit of promise, didn't quite click. Whereas with the Cowleys bringing in, say, you know, players like Joe Morrell, Gavin Bazunu, you know, potentially the best players we've had on the pitch this season have been brought in by the Cowleys in the one transfer window they've had. So, again, although it might be frustrating to wait around, I don't think we've got any reason not to trust their ability to deliver on this because they've had one transfer window so far where you can't work miracles as demonstrated by Ipswich. You can't just flick a switch and have a good squad after one transfer window and have them all gel in five minutes. They've done a far better job than Paul Cook did in that respect. Um, And we've got no reason not to trust them to do it again and start just, you know, 
building building the squad they want that plays the style of play they want. Yeah, I, I, I think the one thing that's sticking in my head, Anne, is you talking about, I hadn't really thought about it from a basis of if we wait until the end of January, what percentage of games that we've actually played. And those games are also against some quite tough opponents, but not just tough, but teams around us in the playoff hunt or in the promotion hunt generally as well. Sunderland, Oxford, MK Dons. You know, these are six pointers, as they'd say, aren't they? These are teams that, you know, if you're picking up points and the team's losing, then uh, this could actually define the season as such. Yeah, 100%. I think, is it is the 31st of January, the window closes, right? So yeah, the Oxford game is just after that. It's the week after, but we've got, yeah, MK Dons, Wimbledon, Sunderland, Charlton, next four games. And those are, that's a huge 12 points. And there are only, what, 22-ish games left in the season, is it? 20-ish? I think we played 24, 25 games around that. So it is just under 20% of the remaining games in the season that we've, we've got before the window slams shut. So, you know, it is a priority not just to leave it to the last minute. And we've seen other clubs. I mean, the famous example is, you know, Sunderland until I die, them signing Will Grigg on deadline day. I mean, just shit hits the fan on deadline day and people pay anything for anyone. And that's, I don't get the panic stations vibe from Danny Cowley. I think if he gets to that point, he'll just say, actually, no, I'm going to work with what I've got rather than, you know, throwing that reported six million at Johnson Clark Harris or whatever the current rubbish rumour is. Imagine if that happens though. (laughs) Every other supporter of a League One club would just look at Sunderland and laugh at them because even if they get promoted, six million quid for Johnson Clark Harris. I mean, my God. Do you remember when when Paul bought Lasana Diara for eight back in the day? It's not not even, you know. I mean, Asana Diara wouldn't come to Portsmouth generally, I thought, because of the geographical location. Same for Sully Mantari and Nick yeah, I've heard they, They're really not a fan of the sea, I've heard, um, yeah. and didn't want to live that close to a hovercraft. Uh, so it's understandable. Exactly, exactly. But I think if we can attract those players, then I don't think it should be a problem now for, um, in our league standing, attracting well, attracting players anyway to the South Coast. Let's be honest, if you live in Rochdale and the other way around, I think people aren't going to be that worried about coming down to Portsmouth or somewhere up north. So... I think that's rubbish, Danny Cowley, but it's not often a call you out on something, but I think that's a load of shit. Um, moving on. I don't know if I completely agree with that, mate. If you look at things like house prices and settling down in the long term, I don't think it's a load of shit. I think that's probably too strong for me. I think All right, there's, a, there's there is, a modic- Of course there is, to a certain level. There's there? a modicum of truth to it, yeah, but I yeah. don't think it's the main reason that players wouldn't be coming to Pompey. No, I agree. Okay, I take that back. There was, there was, there was obviously a geographical factor. You know, if you want to be, if you live in the south, you're from Swindon, maybe it's all right going to Portsmouth. But if you're from Carlisle or you're from Manchester, even you might want to go to a team around the Manchester metropolitan area. I understand that. All right, we spoke to Liam from the MK1 Milton Keynes podcast. He's been on the shows of you guys a long time. Listen to the show, you'll know Liam already. We chat about everything you need to know about the game on Saturday, lineup, style, a little bit of stats thrown in there as always. So here's Liam from the MK1 Milton Keynes podcast. All right, I'm here with Liam from the MK1 podcast. And Liam, thanks for coming back on the show. No worries. Pleasure to be back. Awesome. No, it's great to have you back on the show. Talk about everything to do with MK Dons leading up to the weekend's game. You're a pretty impressive team at the moment, that's not lying. It's the start of a, a fixture list which is quite quite troublesome for Pompey with Sunderland, yourselves and Oxford coming up and what could be seen as quite a season-defining defining moment. I saw you got that win against uh, your hated rivals down in South West London the other day, but how are you feeling about your recent performances going on? 
Yeah, I'll tell you, if you asked me this Monday night, I would have had a different answer, to be honest with you. It's been a difficult couple of weeks. It's a bit like yourselves, it's COVID kind of hit us a bit. It's thrown a few of our games and then we had a few injuries and then that rotated the squad a bit. So players had to get up to speed and we weren't playing very well. And of course, then there's then there's the transfer circles going around with rumours. And of course, our, our goalkeeper left the other day to join Swansea. And he, he, played this, he played Saturday just gone also. So yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind at the moment. I think out of all of it, we haven't, we haven't played too bad. Gillingham, Gillingham at home is an exception. We, we were pretty poor in that performance on New Year's Day. And I think a lot of the fans made that very vocal that they were not pleased with that performance. Accrington, we got we got a goal, but we just didn't do what we should do enough, which is playing, breaking down the lines, playing progressive football, keeping it on the ground, using the width that we have in the squad. I mean, we got a point. It wasn't a bad point on reflection, of course, with the game on Tuesday and how it went. And yeah, on Tuesday, you know, beating them a lot is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tradition these days, um, but it's always, it's always one never gets old. And um, we actually put a proper performance for once in the first time in weeks. And I was saying on our podcast, I think it's been long overdue, that type of performance from our, our boys. So heading into Pompey, where we haven't actually won under the MK Don's, you know, name, it's, it, it's a good, it's a good time to go. I think to you boys. Obviously, you've had a, as I said, you had your, your own issues regarding um, particular situations that are out of your control. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. To be fair, uh, so yeah, it's gonna be an interesting game for sure. You mentioned Andrew Fisher leaving for Swansea. Um, considering how Echo does play, they play at the play at the back really well. How big of a loss is he? Because he might be even more of a loss than a lot of people might think. We're just a normal first choice keeper. Yeah, last season Fish was uh, absolutely terrific. Um, you know, he won our young player of the season on the podcast, and he was very close to winning player of the season. Also, he was that good. Uh, of course, last season also he was under the stewardship of Dean Thornton uh, and Russell Martin, who of course both went to Swansea City uh, right before the start of the season. And uh, this season, I-, I would say Fish has still been good, um, but he wasn't. He's not been the same as last season. Of course, we've had Lewis Price come in, um, who's the new goalkeeping coach, and of course Manning's now the manager. And we've seen a bit of a change emphasis on Fisher's play. He still plays from out the back, but it's not as sort of risk taken as it was before. So if he needs to punt it, he will punt it. But you know, listen, Fisher's a great keeper, and there's a reason he got a four and a half year deal from Swansea, and the, and they paid you know, significant amounts of money for him. So yeah, it's it's still a significant loss. And luckily for us, Frank who came in on Tuesday night on short notice and got his, his first clean sheet in the league on his first start. So you can't ask much more from that from a keeper. But ultimately, he's not the long-term solution. I think Maidon's fans know this. And who knows, recording this on Wednesday, we might have another keeper in, in the door by then. Uh, obviously, we, we can't know that. We don't know that. But if it is Franco, then I think I think short-term-wise, I'm, I'm okay with Franco. But yeah, there's no doubting that Fish is the loss to the team. You mentioned there that you might actually have some, well, potentially a new player in, at least one before the game takes place, because we are now in the transfer window. Liam, where in the MK Don squad has been sort of highlighted or a fans most aware that you either need strengthening or you think are most likely to be strengthened in the transfer window and then consequently maybe are where Pompey fans would look to exploit you at the weekend if you haven't brought in anyone at that position? Well, of course, goalkeeper is probably number one now. We we did an episode on our transfer list. We had like a shopping list, what we wanted, and goalkeeper wasn't even on mine. Uh, now it is; it's number one. Left wing back for me is still a priority. Dan Harvey, despite having a better game on Tuesday night when we had uh, the new signing Corbenu come in, it allowed Dan Harvey to be a bit more free roaming in his role at left wing back. It allowed him to cut in a bit more. Uh, but I think we still need a left wing back in the squad. 
Dan Harley's not been consistent enough for me this season. He had a few decent games. Wigan, for example, away, he had a brilliant performance in that win, which is a massive win on reflection now looking back at it. But yeah, overall, that position needs someone who either A, can cross the ball better, and maybe because we've got Corbeno in, his delivery is very good, or at least statistically it's very good. So maybe we need someone a bit more direct now who can be opposite to Kyoso on the right-hand side, who can run into the box, create chances, you know, have shots. And as we've seen with the goal contributions from Kyoso this season, you know, we've got good recruitment there in terms of identifying players that way. So hopefully we can get someone there. Besides that, Probably a striker. Um, obviously, Max Waters went back to Cardiff on loan. He, well, I was one of his biggest fans, to be honest. I thought he was an absolutely terrific player. And I think his every other goal, uh, goal scoring record for us showed that. So, again, another player who, like, he went at the defence a bit more, uh, very pacey. Of course, getting a striker in January is always a tough task with everyone looking to get goals in the squad. But luckily for us, Mo has set up, Mo has set up the past few games, got himself, well, under four points, really, with the goal against Accrington and then really creating the goal to beat AFC Wimbledon on Tuesday night, which Matthew Riley tucked away. So yeah, I think at least one striker, especially with Charlie Brown also leaving, we need someone there really who's going to you know, help Mo and not put too much pressure on him. Some people have said for a centre mid, I think Kasumi's just got injured, which is a shame because he's one of our more talented players and he could be someone who can really, you know, break down a game. We could read really with him saying a bitch Accrington, to be honest, he really needed someone there who could just break down the lines and just be that sort of brick in the middle. Of course, there's been some rumours on who we got signed there. But yeah, I imagine someone could get brought there. So over, overall, I think we're, we're fairly fortunate that we're not down to bare bones at any really position, maybe apart from goalkeeper. So maybe it's the case of just whacking Hurst and Marquise on, loving a few crosses into the box and seeing what our defence can do. Sounds like a great way of guaranteeing an MK Don's <laughs> clean sheet, that does. <laughs> Definitely. And we're talking about goals, Liam. Um, and I just thought it was quite interesting uh, about you guys because MK Dons obviously lead the league with 33 open play goals this season. But your expected goals 25.1, which is seventh in the league. Is that is that really down to the elite sort of shooting players like Scott Twine who maybe score goals where you wouldn't think they would be statistically scoring from which sort of inflates those stats or is that something where you reckon you're going to regress back to the mean and start scoring less goals than you have done for the first half of the season? It's a great question. Obviously, we've lost seven goals of that and Max Waters going back. So that probably regressed it a little bit. But I think if it was going to regress like massively to which we weren't going to score loads of goals again, it would happen earlier in the season. Uh, listen, Twine, Twine's ability is unreal. He, he's, he's very close between him and O'Reilly for me to be the best player in the league. I think they're both they're both there, quite frankly. I don't think there's many other players that are on their level. Um there's a reason why we're in the playoffs is you know, a lot of it's down to those two players. Honestly, that that the regression could go down to be recruiting January. No, I, I have full faith in the recruiting team and what they've done those past couple of seasons in terms of getting players in. You know, we're actually making money off transfers now, which is something we haven't done in I can't remember when. Maybe since Delhi years, to be honest. So yeah, we're finally becoming a sustainable football club, which is something that we've been crying out for for years and the chairman's really struggled to achieve which is looks like he's finally managed to do so yeah I, I think so long as recruitment goes well I think the goals will keep coming it's more so about the defence staying rock solid keeping players fit and you know just keep picking up points that's a really interesting thing you brought for us why did why did fans want a more sustainable model for MK Dons because in general fans like it when an owner splashes the cash a little bit and, uh, and basically just has has a right amount of money just to throw away at transfers and so on. Well, well that's the thing. I, I think 
Pete Wilkins was splashing the cash since he moved to Stadium MK, to be honest with you. We lose so much money every week on the stadium and the facilities. And the, the, yeah, the, the fact we're still in League One, every, every week we're losing more and more money. So the fact that, funny enough, it's Russ Martin came in, and he and Liam Sweeting sort of presented the fans with this like, model of the way of like Brentford and Norwich typically uh, do their recruitment and how they, the clubs run. And um, it was honestly a really, really like, I don't know the word is, but it's really interesting presentation in terms of how how they how they see the club. And of course, Liam Sweetie now being the sporting director um, since that first happened, you know he is ultimately the person who signed the players and sort of directing the way the team wants to play. And um, you know, Pete Winkleman has given him that role, you know, giving him the full faith in that. And I think Winkleman, at end, end of the day, is a businessman. So if he's making money, then he's going to be happy. Of course, he wants to see the team do well when we speak to him quite a bit. And he, you see him in the games all the time. And, you know, he's really keen to, you know, see the team win games, of course. And he's really happy with the team at the moment. But, you know, I think I think this, the past couple of windows, have really seen him invest in the squad. Uh, of course, with Mo Weiss, no, not officially, but the Belize record signing, finally starting to score some goals. And of course, we're going to, and the, and the result of that, you invest your money and you're going to get it back. Look, look at look at Scott Twyla and Matt O'Reilly. When they, when they eventually go, hopefully they don't, when they eventually go, they're going to be, what, getting close to, well, I mean, if the Scott Twyla doesn't go for more than 5 million, I'll be very, I'll be amazed, quite frankly. I'll be very annoyed because he, he he's an unreal player. He really is. Yeah, there's there's talk. A couple of my Swansea mates reckon they're going to get Matt O'Reilly in January. Are you, are you are you still confident you can hold on to him even before Saturday? That would be a good time if they want to come in and sweep him by him off before the game. <laughs> I, I listen, if Swansea have got two and a half million for Matt O'Reilly, then you know take take him off our hands. Um, I, I was I sort of say on that, but I, no, I think I think with Fisher they've got a very good player, and I the the figures that have been quoted are interesting. I think I think it's somewhere around there, but with add-ons also. Um, so you know the, the club's done really well considering we got fishing on a free from Blackburn, and of course Blackburn had a lever sell-on clause, which is you know not not significant enough to where it's uh, loads of money, but it's still decent for them. So yeah, no, I mean, listen, I think I think the Swans thing's always going to happen. You know, Russ Martin's a very good coach. The coach out there are very good. The announcer team were very good. Obviously, we've seen it with our own eyes. But yeah, listen, they've got they've got fish. They can calm down to the summer at least. All right, I reckon I believe you over them. <laughs> Liam you mentioned I think it was Brentford and Norwich you mentioned there is like ideal models that you know MK Dons want to work towards as well as sort of the business model is that the level that you're aspiring for let, let's say hypothetically like a five-year plan or something is that what the club is working towards sort of the pretense of you know this is where we should be in five years yeah I mean uh, the chairman's always talked about you know, get into the Premier League next amount of years. And of course, that hasn't happened. But yeah, the, I think the, the one difference between us and Brentford and Norwich is that we've had the facilities the whole time. Whereas obviously Brentford have just got the facilities in the new stadium, the community stadium. And obviously Norwich, uh, I believe, working towards that anyway. But yeah, I think from remembering the presentation, it was all around player recruitment and you know not being afraid to sell players. Everyone has a value. And if that value gets met, they leave. You know, it's. I think you know a lot of clubs can definitely learn off that, and obviously you see the likes of Peterborough. You know, Darren McAntony is probably one of the best negotiators in the EFL, um, and he's did pretty well for himself in the in Championship. You know, if they say it this season, I think they're going to stay there for a long time. Quite frankly, so yeah, it's you no, know, it, yeah, it's more about player negotiations, and I think you know Pete 
as I said, as a businessman, he'll always have his models of the way he wants to look at things. But I think the facilities are there. It's all about just making sure that the team on the pitch get promotion. Ideally, this season, to be honest, the team's there uh, and the players think they can get promotion. And then you know, actually staying in the, the second division this time is uh, dropping down immediately. Yeah, we speak pretty about Darren McAntony, et cetera. I, I hear that Sunderland are thinking of buying Clark Harris and his rumour on Twitter for six million plus. I mean, that has to be nonsense. Madness. Surely. Yeah, that's got, uh, yeah, yeah. That's probably Surely. Can you imagine? No, you imagine? They're like, Will Grigg, that wasn't enough. Let's let's slack another <laughs> two million on someone in League One and just make a right fun of it. But um, yeah, that's probably rubbish. But you can see he is a good negotiator. All right, how do you think moving on, Liam, quickly to the game itself? How do you are you confident then that you're going to come and get something out of this game? And we had a little chat earlier on about it. You know, would a draw be a good result for MK? I think it generally would. You know, I, I said under the MK on Zane, we haven't actually beat Portsmouth at Fratton Park. I believe it's two defeats and a draw. Now, to be fair, the last time we played there uh, in the COVID in the COVID season, we actually played pretty well, and I felt we were fairly unlucky not to uh, get anything from that game. And to be fair, that that was fairly early in the Russell Martin era. Um, and I think we've progressed since then. We've got better players since then, so I'd be a fool not to say we we can't come over at least a point. And, you know, with the performance on Tuesday, hopefully the lads are raring to go and to get all three on Saturday. I mean, if we can get all three, then that's an excellent week for us to get seven points out of nine in pretty pretty pivotal games in our season. All right, let's get to the juicy bit here then. Let's let's work out your score prediction for the game and the goal scorers, please, Liam. Okay. Uh, ooh, well, I'm going 1-1. One, one. I'm sticking, I'm being consistent with my score. Don's goal scorer will be the Canadian, Corbeno, the new signing. He'll get his, he'll get his first goal for the club. Probably should have scored in midweek. Uh, had a few chances. I reckon he'll score in this one. Pompey-wise, oh, that one's tough. I'm going to go Hurst. Come on, you just will it into existence now. One of the Pompey strikers to score. That's what we need. That's what we need. You're you lucky I didn't say Mark Reese. Well, we always spoke about that one. But Liam, thanks for coming on the show again, mate. It's always great to have you on. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me once again. All right, cheers. Thanks a lot, Dean. See you soon. Thanks, Liam, for coming on the show. Well, it was quite funny that Liam was actually at the Cambridge game as well, by the way, with his free tickets he got from FanHub. Him and Russell I spoke to on the Milton Keynes on their podcast, the MK1 podcast. Go have a listen to it. It's out. We did a, prop, a uh, preview from their perspective. I was on their show as well, having a chat. It's a difficult game, isn't it? There's no way of framing this any differently. It's a hard game against a good team. And Pompey are going to have to be a lot better than they have been in recent games to get anything out of this game. Yeah, MK Dons are a very dangerous side. You look at some of the names on that team sheet, I think Freddie touched on, or it might have been Hugh, Hugh that's a mouthful, it might have been you, Hugh, touched on um, Scott Twine. And there are players in that team that can just turn a game in a moment of quality. And it maybe sounds a bit silly to be saying this about Cambridge, who have just beaten Newcastle United, but they're not a team like that. They're very much a team of, there are no superstars, but they mucked in together and you know, they've got some really good results and decent performances out of it. MK Dons have got players that I wouldn't say Cambridge do have in terms of having those moments of quality and Pompey are going to have to be at their absolute best compared to the last few games. Then They're not going to get away with playing 
like they did against Cambridge and for 89 minutes or 87 minutes against Exeter. Uh, if they do that, we will not get any points from the game. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult. Very difficult. And the game's going to hinge on which team can control the midfield more. And with Matt O'Reilly and Scott Twine in the middle and with players like uh, in defence like Dean Lewington supplying them with ground passes over and over again, it's going to be very hard, very hard for Pompey to uh, to retain possession. So I think for the Blues to have any chance in that game, I think they're going to have to just concede possession, focus on the high pitch, uh, high press and have players like Harness and Curtis win the ball high up in the MK Don's half and then hope we can uh, hope that Pompey can hit them on the break quickly. I think that's the way to go, I think. Oh, good question here, boys. Do you think Clark Robertson starts on Saturday? And if he does, does he come in for Kieran Freeman? And does Cowley then take that experiment of pushing Raggett out to the right side? All right? Does he play Clark Robertson there? Um, it's interesting he played Clark Robertson in the centre, you see, before bringing Raggett on in the middle in the last game. I don't know if that's a bit of an experiment on whether he wants to play Robertson in the middle. I could see it happening. I could see him pushing Raggett out to, to the right in the three. Although no, I think he's better in the centre. Andy, what's your feeling? Yeah, that's absolute crunch decision you're talking about here. I, It's all dependent on match fitness. I mean, he played, what, 45 minutes against uh, against Cambridge the other night. And as you said, like when, when he went off, it was nil-nil. So it wasn't going too badly, I guess, at that point. I do have some concerns about uh, Freeman's performances in that position. It's not his position of choice. And considering it's not his position of choice, he's done a capable enough job, but he is the weak link in that position in R11. And I think that against teams that we're about to play against, there's a good chance that's going to get exploited. For that reason, I would agree with you. I'd like to see Robertson come in. It's just, yes, it's difficult to move Raggett when he's kind of a, sort of the mainstay of that defensive line. Um, but potentially, yeah, you chuck Raggett in the middle, Ogilvy on the left-hand side of it and um, pop Raggett in on the right, I guess. But yeah, I'm thinking with Robertson's left foot as well. I mean, look, chucking Robertson on the right, you could get some nice angles with the left foot sort of crossfield. But I'm clutching at straws a little bit there, potentially. I think you really, really I think Carly really needs to keep Rag it in the centre of those three centre halves. It, it, it plays exactly to his strengths, and it's one of the main reasons why he's played so well. Focuses on winning the ball in the air, man marking a, a key centre forward if he has to, getting his interceptions in, and letting the other centre halves have a more advanced role where they pass the ball a little bit. Um, Clark Robertson was okay when he came on 45 minutes. Um, if he's fit enough, I think he's starting purely from a technical standpoint. I think Kieran Freeman's done okay at right side at centre half, but it's, as Andy says, it's clearly not his position. Um, and since I think Robertson is probably the most technical player out of those centre halves from a progressive passes point of view, I think you put him on the right hand side because even though he's technically on his wrong foot, he's got the close control. I think he's got the close control ability enough to be able to get himself out of trouble a bit more. And then you keep Conor Ogilvy on the left-hand side. That all depends if Robertson's fit. If he's not fully fit, you play Kieran Freeman there anyway. Yeah, it's one of those dilemmas that's good to have. But I, I do think that we need to go and get a right-sided centre-back in 
in the transfer window have been banging on about for for ages now. So it would be interesting to see how the team settles after that happens, whether they maybe they shift, shift Robertson out to the left and Ogilvy gets dropped or how they how they work it. But that's a good that's a good problem to have. But Kieran Freeman's had some really bad starts to games in particular recently, just turning over possession, looks sort of lost really on that side. So I think that maybe makes it a little bit of an easier decision for Danny Cowley for me if Robertson is fit because of the way that you know, Freeman struggled in the last two games. All right. We all know how MK Don's going to play. We spoke about it with Liam. You know, they're, they're right up there. All the passing metrics in the league, they're pretty much topping all of them. I know they lead the league at the moment with 71 passing attacks. They are a very good team. And Pompey, though, will know how they play. There's no mystery about how MK Don's play. If we can press them high up the field and Pompey can get that press going well, that looks great when it works... I think a bit like against the game against Lincoln, we do have a chance to to impose ourselves on a passing team who will try and play out, out from the back. If we don't get that going, though, and we look very sluggish, we're going to have to rely on the defensive stability, which hasn't really been looking that great in the last couple of games, and then poaching a goal potentially from Marcus Harness or some other sort of like, you know, out of the individual creativity, basically, to create a goal. How are we feeling, boys? Let's get to the score prediction time. Are we feeling like we're going to get something out of this game? I'll let you guys go first. I already gave my prediction on the other podcast. Freddie Webb. Oh, Andy, what are you... Uh... No, I was going to say, Fred, after you. So, uh, yeah, that's all I had on mute Oof. to say. Fair enough. Um, Pompey struggled a fair bit in front of goal. Um, expected still that the goal scats haven't been kind, really. But Pompey haven't created that many clear-cut chances in their games. Yes, they scored three goals against Exeter City, but that was mainly down to individual quality more than anything. It's going to be a real struggle. I'm going to bail out and go with a dirty nil-nil draw. And What makes a dirty nil-nil draw, Fred? That sounds like a pretty well, erotic. You've all, watched, you've all watched those sorts of games where, 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 where the game's just dull and it's a nil-nil draw. Neither oh, side, neither side has any clear-cut clear chances. They kick each other a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think Poppy will try and go a bit more aggressive to try and disrupt MK Don's style of play. And yeah, we will watch a nil-nil draw. That's not the direction very, very I was hoping you were going to take that in, Freddie. I was hoping that was going to be a bit more, uh, what's the word? Oh, no, I'm, a pro- I'm a professional, Pinky. Andy, don't worry. Yeah, sure. He's because he's back in uh, he's back in this Portsmouth room now, Andy, rather than being at his home room with his extensive DVD collection we could all see on display. So the filth, when he goes back to Portsmouth, that, that filthy side of Freddie just evaporates. Oh, I, I'm not I'm not having that from the, you know, the bearded man sitting there, the one out of the three of us doing coke while we record. I'm not having that in the slightest. All this hypocrisy, my God. <laughs> hypocrisy? I'm not sitting here doing coke. <laughs> <laughs> I teach people how not to have strokes, Freddie. I'd be very hypocritical if I did coke myself or anything, <laughs> anything along those lines. I mean, just moving away from narcotics quickly. Really? Why? The, uh, Why would you want to do that? that? <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, Andy. I'll bring you a bag for Sunderland away. Um, Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, dry January, but there's nothing in that about weed. <laughs> And oh, yeah, have health probably. benefits. That's all I'll say for that. Um, I reckon we'll. I reckon we'll just quickly go back to the game. Wait, and- lowers blood pressure, lowers anxiety. Yeah, back to the game. Um, I'm thinking, I'd, I'd be happy with a point. I know Liam went with a one-all draw, and I would potentially lean toward that. It would be a massive three points. I'd be absolutely thrilled if they can pick up three points from this game. I think it would set a really, really good base for the next couple of well, the next 19 days. 
we've got four huge league games. And then Oxford a week after that is absolutely massive as well. This would really kick things off in the right direction, literally. Um, so my head is saying one or draw and be happy with it. Heart is saying never be happy with less than three points. But um, yeah, I'll go one all. What are you thinking, Bunce? I already gave my prediction on the other podcast, so that's why I went last, really. I think that's fair. Um, I am going for a 1-1 as well, Andy. Um, I, I think Milton Keynes are a team who can score lots of goals. They've got game winners in them as well, but they have struggled to score some goals recently against other teams. You know, they only scraped past Wimbledon and struggled against Stanley and didn't do well against Gillingham. So they're not a team who are in banging form how, as much as they can be as well. So whilst Pompey are looking a bit sluggish, they've also looked quite sluggish, but managed to get a couple of key goals when needed. So you could say that's a side of a sign of a good team in that sense. But yeah, I'm going to go 1-1, goal from Scott Twine and a goal from Marcus Harness. Why not? Take the easy option. That's what I said before, so I'll stick by my guns. Andy, who do you think is scoring goals though? I do think that Scott Twine will be the MK Don scorer. I rate him a lot. I'd love to see him in a Pompey shirt. Uh, for Pompey, I will go with the classic, the Curtis cutting from the left and finish into the far corner. Purely because the one week we didn't predict that it happened and I was slightly pissy about that. So I'm sticking with the tried and tested method, which is a dead cert way of making sure it won't happen. Pompey fans everywhere just applauding you for that then, jinxing the, the Ronan curse. Is that is that why Curtis hasn't got as many goals this season? Because we keep predicting him to score. Uh, I'm just, I'm a very powerful young man. So uh, yeah, don't, don't ask too many questions. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We spoke to Stu from the AFC Wimbledon Nine Years podcast. And when I say we, I didn't do it because I wasn't feeling great. So Freddie Webb took over duties to chat to Stu. Uh, this was recorded on the 15th of December because that's before we were supposed to be playing. Um, so there's a little bit of time lag, but let's be honest, nothing much has happened since then. You know, we drew with Cambridge nil now and had a couple of pizza tr- trophy who gives a shit about games. So here's Freddie Webb with Stu from the Nine Years Podcast. So I'm here with uh, Stuart Deacons from the Nine Years AFC Wimbledon Fan Podcast. And Stuart, thanks for coming on the show. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. It's always great to have guests on. Uh, What's the meaning of your podcast name, if I may ask? Why is it called Nine Years? Meaning, so, yeah, so Nine Years. So it basically goes on the fact that um, it took us nine years to get back into the Football League uh, when we started. So we reformed back in 2002 and um, got promoted against Luton in the playoff in 2011. Yeah, scary, isn't it? It flies by. Mm. Yeah, and imagine that. You're now thinking, God, won't Wimbledon have settled in the Football League again where they should be? So that's always excellent to hear. But since the 2-1 defeat at Fratton Park, um, Wimbledon have gone on to win three games out of their last five in the league and upturn in form. Uh, did, did that bad result spur the players on a bit? Do you think? Well, it was, in, it was interesting, really, because the, Pom- the game against Pompey away was um, after the international break. Um, so, which for us is quite, you know, this is the first season we've had any internationals, so we don't really get the benefit of having an international break. But it sort of gave us um, a week or so because we, we were going. We'd just been beating at Sutton. Uh, in the in that in the piece of trophy which we all love, yeah, I think the Pompey the Pompey game was good actually because even though we lost, we we played better than we had. Um, our game's very much now about a high press, aggressive passing football, and I felt you know 
And even though we lost the game late on, the performance, you could sense that that was better. And if we keep the performances going, then results should come along. And that's what they have recently. Yeah. So even with the last minute goal, you were still happy with the performance overall? Then? Well, the last minute goal was disappointing because, uh, you, you know, in terms of uh, if you go to Fratton Park, you normally expect lots of pressure. Um, but it didn't It didn't feel like the Alamo was on us, if you know what I mean, like in that sort of sense. So, you know, normally you're sort of late on, you're thinking, oh, OK, we could be in trouble here, but you couldn't really see it. And then we sort of uh, we sort of let it go through the middle and then it was, it was a very good strike um, for the winner. But disappointing because, you know, if we come out with a draw, that would have been great. You know, picking up points away is always good. But, you know, the performance was decent. And then that went into, because we had a very difficult week going into two Probably relegation back, you know, relegation six pointers, crew, crew at home and um, Fleawood at home. So it was good going into those um, games with a, a better performance. Yeah, but as you said, the upturn in form has definitely helped. Wimbledon are currently have 25 points in League One after 20 games, which is at least a game in hand between most of the teams around them. Currently sitting 17th. I think after 20 games, we can now judge the table a bit more with the position. Uh, does that position for Wimbledon fits with the aims of the season? Did you think you'd be around the relegation zone or higher up? Or Yeah, well, last obviously we've got a new an head coach. We've got a totally different style. Um, you know, we've gone away from the direct style and stuff. We've gone to a more passing game, which is strange for Wimbledon, because <laughs> we're not normally doing that. Um, and we've gone young. You know, we've got the youngest average A squad in, I think, in all four divisions. Um, so, I think it was a bit of an unknown. We we finished well towards the end of last season, you know, stayed up. We weren't playing on the last day for survival, you know, as a dead rubber. So I suppose you hope in a way that you go in, but, but realistically, Wimbledon have always looked at to stay in League One. Um, of course, you want to aim higher than that, but realistically, we finished 12, we, we finished 20th in the last two seasons. So that tells you that, you know, we're surviving relegation. Um, so I think where we are, I'm pleased. Um, don't feel like I'm looking over our shoulders. Um, it's one of those things, you know, when you lose, when, you, when you're sort of relegation threatened team and you lose, the first thing you do is look downwards. Um, actually, now at the moment, I'm looking upwards, which is which is nice. It's a nice um, nice change. You mentioned there that it seems like we would have gone through a transition season just like Pompey with a new head coach, newer crop of players, going younger as well. Um, can you tell the Pompey fans who the new head coach is and some of the younger players who are bright sparks in the team at the moment? Yeah, definitely. So Mark Robinson is our head coach. Um, he's been with the club for about 17 years. Started as, so when our, our when we reformed our academy, we had to start from, from scratch because it got taken away from us. So he was involved. He come in. He come in initially. He was a part-time coach for I think an under eights, uh, and then worked his way up to under eighteen manager, academy manager. So he's he's basically done all of it. Um, I've known we call him Robbo at Wimbledon. I've known him a long time. Um, he's a very good, a very good coach. Development wise, um, a lot of players have come under him, and and funny enough now he's he's bringing them through into the first team so there was some that were maybe on the outside so Andy Hartigan uh, last season under Glenn Hodges was loaned out to Newport County and didn't look to then have a a future with the club which is crazy because if you look at him now he's he's literally top of the set piece um, charts in terms of set piece setups um, and he's a figure point in our, in our team so Robbo's 
got him into a position where, um, you know, in terms of where he can be most effective, um, what other players look out for. I suppose for the spine, our spine is very is is very much where our strength is. Nick Zanev in goal, spent two or three seasons number two. We went through a spell of always bringing in lone goalkeepers. Um, it was, you know, and don't get me wrong, it's worked. We had Aaron Ramsdale on loan, um, who's now at Arsenal, and he was he was amazing for us. But we went through a stage of a lot of lone goalkeepers, um, and then finally went with what we have. Um, give you an idea, we've we've produced a lot of goalkeepers like Matthew Cox, who was due to be on playing against Manchester United yesterday. Has anyway, special table was that was that our, you know, we brought him through through our academy. So got good strength in goalkeepers. Um, Alex Woodyard, ex Peterborough. Ex Lincoln um, was our captain. Um, loves a tackle. Um, <laughs> that sort of um, grinder in midfield. And then I suppose if you're going through the middle, you're probably looking at Jack Rodoni and um, Aversal, who uh, Aversal is only 19 um, and recently got a new contract. And then Jack Rodoni is 21 um, and he's got seven goals this season. So we we have got a good attacking base. Um, we're not as great defensively. If you look at our record, um, we do we do you know both our, our fullbacks play high. Um, so we we you know I don't think I think I think Wimbledon now you don't get a boring game to watch in terms of it's not a boring game. There's always goals, um, and I think we've just accepted that we're going to have to outscore the other team. Um, and we're not going to get you know, clean sheets. I think we've got a couple this season. You mentioned Alex Woodyard there, and uh, we had Danny Cowley on the podcast. He absolutely loved Alex Woodyard. He was he was at Cowley's teams for multiple seasons, and again, yeah, he's like, Lincoln, that, wasn't he, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's that sort of midfielder you like who always gets in the challenge, uh, links up the play very well in the back end of midfield, keeps the engine ticking. So always a nice player to have. Um, you mentioned though, with um, obviously the Wimbledon games aren't boring anymore. Uh, are you pleased then with the transition? Uh, from last season, obviously, last season you relied a lot on Joe Piggott and had a more direct style of football. Do you prefer what's going on at Wimbledon tactically now compared to last season? Yeah, because it feels like it's got um, you know in League One we've very much been like new t- every every summer ten out ten in, um, which isn't you know there's no way of getting continuity that way. But that is the way it worked. This way feels. You know, we've we've got a good academy. Our academy is a very good academy. So sometimes managers are, are frightened to use it because we look at if you look at the state of play now. I think was it fifteen months is the average tenure of a, of a manager um, apparently. But we've literally taken the shackles off and said to Mark Robinson, you know, we've got a process. It's not going to be a one season wonder. So it feels like we're building something now. Um, I don't think you can play long ball nowadays. I think I think you have to be a bit better than that. Um, you know, so don't get me wrong, it's difficult to get used to. A lot of Wimbledon fans are old school and you know, get it get up the pitch quicker. You know, you still get them shouts. Um, but we are playing some really nice football. So I suppose if you look at football from an entertainment business, it, it that's what it is. It, you know, want to be you want to be entertained. And we certainly are. Um, so but we have to accept the team's very young. So, you know, normally we'd loan these players out and they'd make their mistakes at other clubs, lower league clubs, but they're making mistakes on the job. Um, so I think we're getting used to that process now. Um, but yeah, it's looking, it's looking really good, you know, and also the, the benefit we've also got now is we're getting good loans in as well. Um, so we've been able to get some really good loans in this season, um, which we haven't previously. So I think that also works to our advantage. We've got a good relationship with Brentford. 
uh, Watford. Um, so, yeah, I think how it's going is good. Um, and it feels like there's some longevity into it. So we're building to next season. And we probably won't see the benefits of it until um, probably next season or season after. But the interesting thing, Robbo, now is he doesn't he doesn't set a limit. You know, he's looking to get promoted in years to come. So you've got to do that. You can't keep looking over your shoulder of relegation. It's, there's no way to be enjoyable. You mentioned two things there that are really interesting. The first being the fact that you like you like the fact that Wimbledon are building something, and that's I think that's the key for me for football fans because that that's what gets them excited long term. It's it, it's what keeps you coming to the ground every time. If you feel like it's going to be the same old, same old, and there's no improvement, however small it is, then fans can get frustrated. And also, don't worry about fans wanting long ball. Literally, some fans at Portsmouth when things are going bad this season. Some people wanted Kenny Jacket back. God knows why. And then some people got frustrated with um, probably playing the ball around the back um, when it wasn't going well. They're a very results-based mindset. So if Wimbledon can continue around this form, then I'm sure they won't be complaining about the style of play. One player who I have noticed that's part of that ethos of the new Wimbledon, young play, young player, very driven, very attacking, is Nesta Guinness-Walker. Uh, can you tell me more about him, please? Yeah, so Nesta we picked up from Metropolitan Police um, a couple of seasons ago. Um, left back. It's weird now with with um, defenders that I don't always think defenders now is their strength, especially fullbacks now. I don't think their strength is always defending. It's more about what can they do going the other way. So and I don't think Nesta and Maya, we, we've chatted to Nesta on a podcast before. Nesta is very good going forward. Um, Pacey um, got good legs, good energy. Um, Difficult defensively, but then the way we play sometimes leaves us open to that. But yeah, Nesta's doing really, really well. Um, rightly so, getting a lot of plaudits at the moment. Actually played centre-half, played left of a, a centre-half on Saturday against Wickham. Um, and you've seen, you know, you've played Wickham already this season and they're a good side. Um, and he didn't look out of place playing left-back, playing left centre-half. So that was good. But no, Nesta's, Nesta's very good. We, we actually got some really good um, fullbacks and um, there's competition there now which is which is what you need Was that as part of a, a back four or a back three that Nesta played as a centre-half? Back four yeah we we did play a lot of um, we did play 3-5-2 on the Green Hodges but we very much play a four uh, four at the back um, at this season mm. The reason why I mentioned him is because there's been some chatter in the newspapers uh, the news sports of Mark McMahon reported that Danny Cowley said he wanted to sign Nesta Guinness-Walker in January. Um, another journalist, Alan Nixon, mentioned that that link was there. And then um, a Bristol Live reporter as well mentioned that Bristol City was sniffing around. To broaden the question a little bit, how hard do you think it will be to keep the young players at Wimbledon, especially if they're performing very well? I think, you know, I'm old school, so I've been watching Wimbledon now since 1990. Um, so I'm very much used to the old premiership days of setting your best players um, and then replacing. I, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we've lost players for, you know, look for years. We've lost Joe Piggott for nothing, Lyle Taylor for nothing, um, Jake Reeves got a feed for, um, Tom Elliott, you know, we lost him for nothing because we just, the contracts run out. So I think my point, I think how we're looking at at the moment is we're trying to get players on longer contracts. And then if someone comes in, if they perform well, someone comes in, then we, we're, going, we're a selling club, you know, we can't get away from that. But I think from my point of view now is, you know, if someone performs well, then as long as we get a fee that reflects that. Um, I, 
And I think, you know, Robbo's gone on the record saying that he don't, you know, we don't want to lose players for nothing. So if a player does run down a contract, and I'm not too sure what Nesta's got left on his contract. Possibly it mightn't be this summer, not too sure. Um, but I imagine if that's the case, then we might look for a fee in a window because we've got to start getting some transfer fees in to then start pushing back into the squad. Yeah, it'd be useful for the younger players to also get a sell-on fee as well if you can. So if they then move on from another club, then that's even more money sewn up for Wimbledon long-term. Uh, I'm going to move it on to Saturday now. Um, last time, uh, Wimbledon caused Pompey a fair few problems in the second half by an aggressive high press and uh, intricate passing. Um, Wimbledon's passes allowed per defensive action, which measures a high press, is the, four, is the fourth most intensive press in League One with 7.86. Remember, listeners, the lower the number, the more intense the press. Um, with that in mind, do you think Wimbledon will look to do the same thing at Plough, at Plough Lane, focus on the high press, cause, cause a lot of problems in uh, in Pompey's back line and uh, counter-attack from there? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, at home, you you know, you want to make sure you're, you're on the front foot. Your home fans do expect you to be attacking. Um, I don't see Pompey changing their style. Pompey likes to play around the back, um, as you just said before. You know, it's that old thing, isn't it? Of re- quite recycling now, don't they, of going backwards. I'm accepting it. I'm an old school. I don't necessarily want to keep going backwards. But, you know, if Pompey play the same way they are, then, then yes, we will press high and we will press in numbers. Um, I think when, when Wimbledon are, I think when we're confident and we're on a run, we tend to press in in numbers. So no point pressing, you know, one person. We we tend to press three and fours. And I think when we're on form, that's what we do well. It's when we're not playing well that we don't then potentially commit to taking so many people there. So I don't see anything different. You know, we played Pompey in the five three game in the Pinsa Trophy. Um, you know, play very similar there. We we probably won't change too much. I think Pompey's style will mean that we're press uh, and look, you know, we're scoring lots of goals at the moment. Um, so I think we're, you know, we're confident, but yeah, yeah, Portsmouth are a very good team. So we've got to be careful. But, you know, I think we're more about, in, we're more, more about imposing ourselves on the game now rather than worrying about other teams. Um, you know, we didn't worry about working them on on Saturday we were going to try and play our game and you know they're a big physical team and in the end we got some joy against them so I think that's how we go I, I think we give Pompey the respect they deserve but I think we will go and press uh, yeah, very aggressively It's going to be a very energetic game because Pompey even though they love to have the ball in possession out of possession they love the high press as well so I really think this is going to be a high scoring game uh, if you had to pick one player in the Wimbledon side who you expect to have a key game on Saturday, who would it be and why? Um, at the moment, I'd probably say Oli Palmer. Um, Oli Palmer at the moment is really starting to, um, you know, plays, we play a one up, but we we basically play fours attacking. We play three in behind Oli Palmer and they all got a license to go and join in. Um, but, you know, Oli's, Oli Palmer was out last season. He was out for the early part of this season. It's noticeable that when he's back, the ball sticks a lot more. Um, and he's the older man, you know, he's 28, I know it sounds silly, but at 28, um, he's one of the older players. Um, so he gives that little bit of um, reassurance to the youngsters around him. But I think Oli Palmer would be the one that I would say that, yeah, he would be the one that um, would be the pivotal one. Seven goals and three assists in the league can't be bad for Oli Palmer either. But I will say that dive at Fram Park that he did was quite bad, <laughs> if you think it was a dive. 
Was it a, was it him for the penalty? Was it? Or yeah, was it was. I think I think so. Or it was Guinness Walker. Um, I think I think it was Guinness Walker. Yeah, because Palmer took. <laughs> part, I know Palmer scored the penalty, but the dive beforehand was <laughs> was up there, wasn't it? At least an eight out of ten for me. I think it's it's one of those, isn't it? You know, if I think about it, you know, in front of the in front of the home end, and uh, you get a penalty, sometimes it's got to be like a dead cert penalty, isn't it? It's got to be like something that's proper, like you can't say no to it. Referee was very confident, wasn't he? Um, with it, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I was surprised it was given. Um, I don't know if he. I, I would honestly say I don't think we've got players that tend to dive. That's the biggest problem we've got is that they're a bit. They're not streetwise, so the youngsters are a little bit naive. You know, give you a little bit of a different example. Trying to close out games, we struggle because we just don't manage the game well. You know, we're trying to score a third, and really we should be just time wasting going down all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it was a soft penalty, but. Um, yeah, we'll take them. Yeah, management of the game is going to be key for both sides, I think. And so the hardest question I'm going to have to ask you is, Stuart, what is your score prediction for Saturday's game and your goal scorers, please? Goal scorers as well. I like that. Um, I've got a feeling it'll be a 2-1 win to Wimbledon. Um, I probably would go with uh, Jack Rodoni and Oli Palmer scoring. Um, wouldn't be surprised if we have to come back from a goal down either. We, the amount of times we've had to recover from one nil um, deficits is a lot this season. So, yeah, that's how I see it going. But do you know what? It's, it's going to be a tough game. We've got a tough run in now up to Christmas and New Year. Um, so, and obviously, I see Pompey are joint top of the, the form card after eight games at the moment. So, we know what we're dealing with. But I'm a bit more confident now than I was going into the game at, at Fratton Park. Yeah, both, both sides on a tear and I think I still think there's going to be more goals than that too one you mentioned I haven't figured out my score prediction yet but um, I'll get there at some point uh, thank you so much for your time Stuart it's been very kind no uh, could you tell the Pompey fans uh, where they can find all your content yeah so we're on um, so we're on Twitter Nine Years Podcast we are on YouTube as well we do a weekly show on a Friday and we also do a, what we call a Sunday Night Live uh, where we we're, we're fortunate enough to have, have access to the players, so we regularly have players on. Uh, we had Jack Redoni actually on on Sunday, um, so yeah, we're on YouTube as well. So yeah, if you, if you want to come and find out some content, um, yeah, come and join us. That's amazing. You get to players to chat as well. It's always nice to get that insight away from uh, the official club. Sometimes it, it can definitely change your opinion for in good ways. So thank you so much for your time, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for coming on the show, Stu. It was quite cool to have a MK Don's guest and a AFC Wimbledon guest on the same podcast, isn't it, guys? I think it would have been a lot more difficult if we tried to have them on at the same time. We should have done that, shouldn't we? <laughs> <You> imagine. <laughs> a little bit of uh, shouting each other the entire Zoom time. fisty cuffs would have been good. Yeah, I think uh, Stu would be feeling quite bad after the result the other day. I don't think they've. Um, I don't think they've actually. Have they actually lost to AFC Wimbledon? I can't remember a time recently. Not no, in I recent times either. No, Wimbledon have been well. yeah, out of form. Was it was it Barrow they lost to? No, um, was it who did they lose to in the uh, FA Cup? There with I'm going to look that up. They lost to. Oh, that's not. That's the te- okay. I've got the, the Wimbledon tennis tournaments. Let's go for football. Uh, Boreham Wood. Wood. Yeah. It was Boreham Wood, yeah. So they lost to Boreham Wood in the FA Cup and obviously then lost 
to Wimbledon the other night. And I mean, we were talking about Guinness Walker as a possible Portsmouth target a few weeks ago. And yeah, and I watched the Wimbledon Boreham Wood game, even though I just couldn't remember who it was against. And he got pretty much owned in that against lower league opposition. And then he got sent off after what, 35-ish minutes in the game against MK Dons. So not too upset that we didn't sign him. I know that's a very small sample size, but uh, he's not had a good week. So he's going to be suspended against us, isn't he, then Tuesday night if he got sent off against MK? Yeah, and, and Pompey don't really know a right wing back anyway, do they? Really? In the no, we were very heavily linked with him, though. There was a few sources linking us with in conversation with him. Yeah, one lock, another backup. Um, yeah, no, Stu's a good guy. I've chatted to him over, over Twitter. But Fred, do you want to actually give some context of the, of the conversation and... Uh, Give us some feedback on Wimbledon and what you what you like to expect on the game against Tuesday. Yeah, for, uh, from from when I talked to him, we, Wimbledon seemed to be, and the last time Wimbledon played at Frapp Park, they were surprisingly aggressive. Um, in that game, they did the first half. They started pressing a little bit more. Palmer up front got more, got some more chances, and then converted his penalty. And yeah, they're they're, they're not just the stereotypical physical side down there they're, they're very proactive and very forefront and very forefront in how they play so Pompey will need to um, look, need to look out for that really and the easiest way to do that is try and retain possession in their back three use the we use the win backs for width, for width to try and create some space I think that'll be where that game is won and lost Yeah, I was just looking at Wimbledon actually do play quite a high intensity system. You know, they're sixth in the league on, on PPDA, Freddie. And they actually will come at us. They're not like a team who's going to sit back and park the bus and, and not press out against us. Obviously, it was quite a difficult game at Fratton Park. Marcus Harness getting that that great winner at the end. But we seem to struggle against them, don't we, a little bit? They're not a team that we always seem to to blow over or whatever. It's always a difficult game if it goes either way. So I'm expecting quite a tough test on this. But I'm just going to swing it around to you. First, Andy Mitchamore for your prediction for the game on Tuesday night away at Wimbledon. Yeah, I go for some away limbs, late winner, 2-1 Pompey, Curtis in front of the Pompey fans. That's the prediction. Again, it's just wildly optimistic, but it's much easier to be optimistic now than 23 minutes into a drab performance where Pompey haven't got out of our half yet. So we'll go with that famous last minute winner again. Quite good at those, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're not bad at those, are we? As long as someone pops up and gets it. I'm going to go... I'll go next. I'm going to say... I'm going to go 2-0 Pompey. Um, I think if they are going to score a goal, though, it's going to be... Um, and I always get his name wrong. How do you pronounce it? Rudinay? 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 Their left attacking winger? It's Jack, isn't it? I can't remember off my hand. Rodoni. Rodoni, Jack Rodoni. Yeah, Jack Rodoni. He looks very dangerous on that left-hand side. He's got seven goals this season already in League One. I think he's pretty dangerous. Romeo will have to be a little bit careful going forward in order not to leave too much space in behind for Rodoni, who can be very dangerous, a bit like Curtis cutting in and shooting as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with a 2-0 win, though. I think we're going to get a 2-0 win. I'm looking forward to it as well, boys. Tuesday night, me and Andy and I are going as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. For any web, what are you feeling? I think that game's going to be a bit more clear-cut than the game on Saturday. As much as, much as Wimbledon can pose a problem, they're not really any, in a lot of good form recently. Some of their key players aren't playing as well. So I'm going to go with a 3-1 Pompey win. Um, 
Palmer getting the goal for ASC Wimbledon. And we're going to see a George Hurst perfect hat-trick. Right foot, left foot and header all at the same time. So that will solve our strike. Fred, you're, you're genuinely trying to convince the listeners that you're not doing Class A's and then you give that prediction out. He's <laughs> 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 had a cheeky but Arguably, he's the best striker prediction. we have at the moment on form. Huh? He's, Hurst is arguably the best striker we have at the moment. Yeah, but Freddie, you're in the top three strikers we have at the moment. <laughs> I'm not backing you to score a perfect hat trick. You used to play up front, didn't you, Fred? Uh, for some reason, yeah. I started off yeah. at right back, right back, centre, defensive fielder. Then my manager at the team randomly started playing me up front. Don't know why. Never asked. Uh, I prefer playing in centre defensive bit, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think you, sh- you should lace your boots up, mate. If Cowley can't get anyone in over January, he doesn't want to spend money for no reason. He doesn't want to be lumbered by long contracts. Freddie Webb, give him a call. All right, people. Andy, Fred's just speechless at that. He's nothing to say. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Always good to be here. Yeah, and Fred, hope you're all right later. Please take some downers if needs be. But great having you on the podcast. Lovely to be on the podcast again. Nice to speak to you guys. Fred, if you just maintain the high, you never get the come down, bud. And until next time, play up, Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!